May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The fourth Sunday of Easter each year is often called Good Shepherd Sunday. Each year we get a reading from the Gospel of John where Jesus talks about sheep and shepherds. This year we get the kind of the first part of that story and that passage. Um, And sometimes we read this passage about the Good Shepherd without thinking about where we are in the bigger story of what's going on with Jesus. This passage from Jesus talking about sheep and shepherds and gates comes right after Jesus has healed a blind man on the Sabbath. The man was healed and his neighbors came to him asking how it happened and eventually the Pharisees, the, the leader, um, leaders get involved and they ask lots of questions. Jesus had healed on the Sabbath so he had broken the law. And the Pharisees were convinced that Jesus must be a sinner and could not have actually healed this man. And after some back and forth, they actually drive the healed man out of the community. And it's at that point that Jesus finds the man and welcomes him in as one of his followers. And the Pharisees overhear Jesus' conversation and challenge him. And that's when Jesus turns to them and begins to talk about shepherds and sheep and pastures and gates. He starts off simply enough talking about how a shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And then later on he goes on to say that I am the gate for the sheep and that whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus is not just a shepherd, but is also the gate. Now I think nowadays we probably don't think very much about sheep. We don't encounter sheep very often in our lives. Uh, Living in the city, we may not think very much about gates and pastures and farm animals in general. But I want to tell you three stories about gates that I have experienced in my life. Mm -hmm. The first was when I was little. I was very fortunate. I used to spend most summers when I was young riding horses out at the stables and we'd be there all day. And and part of the way that we kept the cost down for our parents was we would help around the stables. And the favorite thing for the kids to do was in the evening when it was time to bring the horses in um, so that they could be fed and put away for the night. You'd go around to each stall and scoop out the right food for that horse. And as you went, you would open the stall gate and leave it pushed wide open. And once all the food was where it was supposed to be, the woman that owned the stables, her name was Becky, would go out and would open the main pasture gate. And she is somebody that could whistle louder than any other person I've ever met. And she would stand there and she would whistle and she would call the horses. 
and they would come in. Normally you'd have one or two that would be at the front of the pack, right, that they really want their supper. And then you'd have this big group in the middle, and you'd get a couple kind of lagging at the end. But the horses would all come running in, and the barn had three different hallways. And the horses knew where to go. Normally, they would come in and they would go to their stall. Occasionally, you'd get one that would go to the neighbor's stall and you'd have to go get them out. And as kids, we would stand like pressed up against the wall of the stalls because when like 20 horses start coming running through, that's a lot of animals and that's a, you know, and we were little kids. But our job was once they got into their stall, the right one, is we would then come behind and close the gate to the stall. And... Everybody would be put away for the night, and the horses would be happily munching away on their grain, and peace and order returned after this moment of chaos. <laughs> Special effects are free. Um, you know, and so we would leave knowing that everything was going to be all right. Now, fast forward about 20 years, when I was not so much of a little kid, I experienced a different sort of gates. And this was when I was practicing law, um, and I did um, criminal defense work, so I spent a lot of time going in and out of secure facilities, so in and out of prisons and jails. And the main point of entry into a jail or a prison is called a sally port, um, which is kind of a funny word, but the idea is that it's actually two gates put together. And so you have to, to wait for them to open the first, and then you step in, and the first one closes behind you, and then you wait for them to open the second gate, and then you step in to the secure part of the facility. I can tell you that there's always was anxiety for me in that moment between those two gates. I never really felt that much stress once I was in on the other side because then I was back with a community of people, but stuck in between was really kind of a tense place. And sometimes it took longer to open that second gate. And I also, almost every time I would leave, felt that relief that comes and was very aware that I had a privilege that most of the people inside that facility didn't have, which was that I got to leave. And the last gate I want to talk about was when I had a house in Northport and the backyard had a wooden privacy fence with a gate. Um, and because it's Alabama and because it's humid and because the summer heat takes its toll on wood, for the years that I was there, I had to replace the latch, I had to redo the hinges, and no matter what I did, that gate would, would sag and wouldn't swing the way it was supposed to. And so that each time that I had to come through the gate to get into the yard to do yard work, there was a struggle with this wooden gate. I had a handyman look at it once and he said, I mean, this is just Alabama and gates are gonna sag. That's just what happens. Um, these three stories I offer because I think if we stop and think about gates that we go in and out of in our lives, 
we get, maybe begin to get a little understanding of what Jesus might be talking about when he says, I am the gate. So the gates at the stables um, kept the horses where they were supposed to be and were safe, but they were also, we knew when it was time to open those gates, were a point of joy and excitement because you got to, to bring the horses in through the gates and tuck them away for the night. The gates at those secure facilities are there so that some people stay inside and other people are kept out. And they give us the appearance of safety and order. And then you got my old wooden gate that never did what a gate was supposed to do and wouldn't swing on its hinges. And so instead of becoming a place of passing through or going out, it became a place of struggle. Throughout our history, human beings have liked to put up fences and gates. We like to be able to parse out what's mine and what's yours. We've done this in the church in different ways. So in the beginning, the Acts of the Apostles tells us that the followers of Jesus came together and shared everything in common and sold their goods and distributed the proceeds, each according to their needs. Now as the church would grow and spread and become not just a small community of believers in Israel, but would become a worldwide faith, we got pretty good about setting rules that marked who the believers were and who they weren't. And then we had a reformation and we set up new gates that divided us from our Catholic brothers and sisters. And with a little bit more time, we, the Protestants, began to put up more gates to divide Episcopalians from Baptists and Baptists from Lutherans and Lutherans from Methodists. And even sometimes in the church, we put up literal gates. If you're in a traditional Episcopal church, there will be a rail around the altar, and there is the altar gate that gets closed when the clergy come up to celebrate the Eucharist to separate the altar from the people that are in the pews worshiping. We like separation. We like gates. We can use them to create communities. And when we talk about sheep and gates, the gates are absolutely there to create a space that the sheep can come in at night and the shepherd doesn't have to worry about them anymore and they're locked in and they're going to be there and they're going to be safe and there'll be order. But what does it mean for Jesus to say that he is the gate? I don't think Jesus is the type of gate that we create to separate ourselves from other people or to um, make one group of people feel safer from another group of people. And I think that part of understanding Jesus as the gate goes back to remembering that this story is in response to the Pharisees. The Pharisees had rejected the healed man, the man that benefited from this miracle happening in his life, 
And the Pharisees at that point have created gates that no longer protect the community that they have been given to lead, but instead exclude people and create a place of struggle, a place where you're stuck on the outside trying to get in and they, the, the gate won't swing and they keep it shut. When Jesus talks about himself as the gate, I think he's talking about a gate that swings open wide to welcome in all sorts of people. Sometimes we forget that one of the things that Jesus was most well known for in his ministry was eating with all the wrong sorts of people. The gate that Jesus is talking about is not one that gives the appearance of safety. It's not one that is used to exclude others, but it's one that offers salvation and a life lived abundantly. On Good Shepherd Sunday, we are reminded that we don't know much about sheep anymore. But more importantly, we are reminded that we are precious to God. The Psalms and throughout the scripture and Jesus talk about shepherds and sheep because there is a relationship between the shepherd and the sheep and the shepherd sacrifices and sometimes sleeps out in the fields with the flock and sometimes is excluded and they don't like him in town because he smells a little too much like sheep. But he works hard to create a place of protection and he knows the lay of the land to where to take the flock to be able to eat and to drink and to be safe. And he keeps them safe from whatever might steal or hurt them or destroy them. Jesus talks about us as sheep and talks about being a gate, not because we're simple like sheep and not because he wants to be like the gates that we create both in our communities and around our property, but he wants us to know that we are that precious all of us, and that if we trust him as the shepherd, if we hear his voice, he will keep us safe. We spend a lot of time creating gates to protect ourselves, to give us a sense of safety and control, but this Sunday we are reminded that no matter what our ideas or plans are, Jesus is the only gate that leads to an abundant life. Jesus is the one that is in control. No matter how much we might decide to leave people out, Jesus is the one there inviting everyone in. I think we can take comfort in that because we can lay down that burden of trying to figure out who the right folks are and who the wrong folks are and know that Jesus as shepherd and gate does the work better than we ever could do. So on this Sunday, we hear the comfortable and familiar words of the 23rd Psalm the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. We are reminded that no matter where we are, green pastures, still waters, 
or the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus is with us. And we know that wherever we are on our journey, at our times of doubt or pain or our times of joy at the silliness of bringing a herd of horses in to eat supper, Jesus is the familiar voice calling us home again and again. Jesus is the gate ready to swing open and invite us home. Amen. Amen.